Our reading this morning comes from James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. James likes uh, metaphors, <laughs> so uh, let's pray. May the word of God be applied to our hearts. Father, we thank you for this word and all the vivid, colorful images that it gives to us. We pray that as you speak through it, that we, in our words, would be transformed and that we would see most of all uh, the word made flesh. Thank you for Jesus who speaks life uh, where there was death. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. My grandson, uh, Leonard James, is a sweet-natured little guy. It, it may actually be that he's a bit on the sensitive side, which is a great thing, and he's learning the hard way that human nature isn't always good and kind. Uh, we were told recently that another kid on the playground was, was mean to him, and uh, my son, Miles, now some of you have met Miles or even know him uh, quite well, actually. Uh, he was a, uh, he excelled at middle linebacker in high school. He was a tough kid uh, playing football. And his solution uh, for his boy was, let's get him into jujitsu. <laughs> and he's only two. <laughs> I think it's good for Lenny and for all of us uh, to learn some coping mechanisms, right? There is some value to the old motto, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, there's some value to observing that on the playground and in boardrooms. At times it's good for us to grow a thicker skin and to let stuff simply roll off our backs. But the Bible teaches, friends, that this old saying is uh, mostly wrong. It's of limited value. You see, James appeals to and 
uh, looks at nature to press home what we know, though we sometimes ignore in our relationships and in our day-to-day speech. Words are intensely powerful, and they often have an outsized influence and impact on our lives. Words not only describe things, but they actually do things. Or as Oscar Wilde said, they give form to formless things. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so my grandson is learning um, that uh, sometimes it's not just actions, but words can push you down and, and wound, but also words can build up and heal. Now James begins by addressing pastors and those of us who share the word through teaching and other means, we share the word of God with our words. And he says to us, not many of you should be teachers, because we who teach will actually be more, uh, judged more strictly. The biblical scholar Douglas Moo has said, teachers are, are more liable to judgment because our calling involves the hardest thing to regulate, our speech. And so one of the things that needs to be said is that the pulpit, pulpit should never be a bully pulpit. Truth must be delivered with gentleness and humility and with loving concern. And and for me and for some of us, it's quite sobering that, that even in the last year, those who have written quite eloquently about this very matter have apparently not shown themselves to be gentle in their leadership. And yet none of us is exempt This applies to teachers, but it really applies to all of us. James addresses all Christians. You see, God makes himself known supremely in his words. And therefore, for us who are made in his likeness, he cares about our words and the way that we use them. So we're going to look at three themes here in James 3, 1 to 12. First, the impact of our words or our tongue, the inconsistency of our words or our tongue, and the healing of our words or our tongue. Now, the problem obviously isn't the muscle, the the little organ in our mouths. The problem is what comes from that, and James wants to address that. And so first, the impact of our words. For we all stumble in many ways, James says. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect person, a mature person, able to bridle his whole body. Now our tongue is to our lives as a bit is in a horse's mouth. And there's a play on words here. It's basically saying, you know, bit and bridle. As a horse can be guided um, by this little piece of metal so the human life can be guided and steered and is by the tongue. Now, many of you know that horses are amazing creatures. I've not been around them a lot, but when I am, it's, it, it's very intimidating when you see these things. Um, beautiful, but big. Uh, they can run up to 44 miles per hour. They can carry, I think, most of us for a long distance. They can pull great weight. And yet a young child, a young child can control 
a horse's direction with a very small metal piece in its mouth. James is saying that this little piece wields disproportionate influence relative to its size. And so likewise, the tongue with our lives and our relationships. And so James then, again, he loves metaphors, he calls attention to boats or ships. I remember riding on a friend's catamaran, Hobie Cat, um, up at Lake Arrowhead when I was a kid, and that thing could go up to 25 miles, 24 miles per hour when the mountain winds were high. And I remember the older guy who was steering it, you know, you look down and you see just, you know, maybe two feet of rudder in the water, and it's steering that entire boat. And so he pushes or pulls, and the entire boat will turn on a dime. It's amazing. And so again, in the same way, though the tongue is incredibly small, compared to our lives, compared to the human body, it has disproportionate influence, not only over us who speak, but only uh, over those to whom we speak. So your words make an impact on the hearers, but also on you as the speakers. And you can think back, friends, over your life, put, uh, lives. Perhaps somebody uh, made some comment to you, an encouraging comment that set you on a new direction in your life. Or perhaps somebody said a harsh thing and it left a mark, and, and you know that, you know it's been hard to forget that even decades later. Well, James says, what is one of the problems? The problem with this small tongue is that it boasts of great things. Now, this part, I will tell you, not tripped me up, but it made me pause a bit because I don't tend to think of you all or myself as people who brag, right? We don't tend to call a ton of attention to ourselves. And so we might think, look, I'm off the hook, but we're not at all. You see, pride can come out in different ways. It can come out in quiet ways, in introverted ways. Pride can be this kind of expression, well, you know, I can kind of do life and faith mostly on my own. And my insecurities, some of which came to me through harsh words when I was growing up or even more recently, in those insecurities, I have learned to find security by keeping to myself. I think a number of us can feel that way at times. You begin to toughen up yourself, right? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can't hurt me. And what you do there sometimes is, in trying to make yourself invulnerable, is that you have closed yourself off to love, closed yourself off to needing others, or to going deeper in relationships, you know, kind of keeping things safe and on the surface, James would say that that too can be a form of pride and it expresses itself and is influenced by words, our words and the words of others. And so James takes it further. Look at verse 5, how, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. It was hard not to think of last May when there, you know, a small flame came up the hill and absolutely incinerated several beautiful homes just over here on the ridge. Highland Street, a number of you walk that trail. My wife walked it yesterday. All of these homes, just in a matter of hours, burnt to the ground. So James says our words can move like that 
They can torch like that. Proverbs 12, 18 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. They cut when remarks are careless. Now, here's one area I think we need to consider this. I'll mention it again later, but it's the area of humor. It is, it is so good to laugh. But sometimes there is a fine line between you know, laughing at ourselves and laughing at the expense of others. You know, the root of the word sarcasm is sarks, which is the Greek word for flesh. So sarcasm so often can mean cutting into the flesh or the lives of others. It can tear somebody down. It means that sometimes funny goes too far. And as I thought back about this um, this week, uh, you know, I have realized that Often when things have gone wrong with words in my life, whether things I've received or given, it actually swirls around humor, sometimes ill-defined or ill-timed humor. You know, sometimes this happens in a marriage. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'll make a joke. It's like, uh, no, nah, that doesn't go well. And then I'll say, well, wait a minute, you made the same joke about yourself. That was me saying it, and that was yesterday, right? <laughs> so you have to learn, right, how to use your humor. It's about context, it's about tone and all of these things. And perhaps when you have made comments that are sarcastic, that have cut into the flesh of others, you think, man, I wish I could bring that back in. I wish I could undo those words. There is the theme here that we'll, we're going to get to in a moment, but James speaks of blessing others and cursing others. As modern people, we think, you know, we don't really do that, do we? Well, of course we do. You see, to bless friends is not only to wish life and goodness to and upon others, but actually to impart those things in the way that we speak to one another. Cursing is not only, in a sense, to wish evil, but in some sense to impart evil and to actually cut into people. Again, remember that quote from Oscar Wilde, words give form to formless things. There's a quote I've used uh, before, and it was uh, written by a writer I'd never heard of, but I love this phrase as he talks about language and relationships. Words are weapons. They blast big bloody holes in the world, and words are bricks. Say something out loud and it starts turning solid. Boy, have I seen that, uh, you know, in marriage counseling and in my own life and sometimes in churches. Say it loud enough, he goes on to say, and it becomes a wall that you cannot get through. Fire and bricks. I want to share with you uh, an unpleasant interaction I had this past year um, with none of you. <laughs> uh, you don't know the person, but um, I think there was intended humor. Again, I kind of come back to the sarcasm idea. Uh, but it basically was delivered like a brick. It came out as an insult. And uh, my first thought was, really? Uh, my second thought was, hey, the jerk store called. No, just, <laughs> it's a, you can look that up later. It's a Seinfeld reference. I didn't say that. 
Um, I thought of it later. Uh, but here's the thought that actually came to mind about 15 minutes later. You know, you're really disappointing. I'm actually glad I didn't say that. <laughs> there was probably a better response in there. But again, it made me think a little spark could ignite a fire. And the fire that came toward me could have had a bigger flamethrower. The brick that came at me could have had a bigger cinder block. Words, friends, have the power to destroy. A pastor in a community context for the church, a pastor recalls early days in a church when a man was upsetting the peace and purity of the church. He was just coming in with his critical attitudes and always talking about things. And, and the pastor said that he would go around and tell people that he had the spiritual gift of rebuking. <laughs> well, that's not in the Bible. I have come to rebuke you all. Proverbs 10 says that when words are many, sin is not absent. In other words, think before you speak, as James has already said. Friends, wise words are not only true words, but they must be timely. Again, this applies to the church, to marriage, to parenting, to friendship. As we talk about handling the truth, this is far more than conveying accurate information. But truth has to be situated. It is relational. James says in the latter portion of, uh, portion of chapter 3 that wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. Come back next week. We'll hear more about that. But I've said often in marriage counseling and at weddings that a critical mind is a virtue, and, and we, in our church, in our tradition, we value critical thinking. Critical thinking is a virtue, but it is so easy to go from that into having a critical uh, spirit, and that is a vice. You see, the critical mind discerns and winsomely presents truth, but a critical spirit nitpicks. I have sensed this sometimes when I have met with people who are struggling in relationships. A critical spirit is weighed down by a spirit of severity toward another and perhaps toward oneself. And I just want to say, where is the tenderness? Where is the gentleness? Where is the forgiveness? Where is the tough truth being delivered in a, in a soft way with a velvet glove? You see, friends, we need clarity of, clarity of insight, which means we value truth, we value theology, we value honest and good feedback, but it must be also coupled with a charity of spirit. And so our words emerge from our hearts, but they also, and, and even more, reveal what's going on inside, but they work the other way as well. Words influence us and impact us. They are... Uh, powerful. And they can actually shape uh, how we are feeling. In other words, when, when we're always speaking forth negative words, it tends to foster negativity in our hearts. It goes in the other direction. But words like rudders or bits steer the course of our lives. 
Now, I want to look a little more here now at the inconsistency of our words. James is really colorful. In verse 6, he says, The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the body. It corrupts us. A spark that sets the whole course of one's life on fire. This all led John Calvin to say, A slender portion of flesh contains within it the whole world of iniquity. And when the biblical writers want to make the case for humanity's waywardness and rebellion, you know what they do? They often zero in on the tongue. When Isaiah, in chapter 6 of that book, is confronted with the awesome majesty of God, what does he say? Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And so again, James, the tongue is full of deadly poison. How so? Well, with it, we bless God, and then we devalue someone that God has made in his image. That's where the absurdity and the inconsistency are. And so be honest. Have you ever worshipped God in here or some other place, and then you've gone home, or on the ride home, you've grumbled, you've complained about so-and-so, or such and such. Praise has given way to sarcasm. I think we've all done this. And so James notes the absurdity in verse 11. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olive or a grapevine fig? Well, neither can salt spring produce fresh water. You see, speaking out of both sides of one's mouth demonstrates a problem of the heart. Well, let's come now to the healing of our words, of our tongues. And one of the things that we need to consider is that we learn to govern ourselves, to bridle ourselves by taming our words. This will shape the influence and direction of our lives and our relationships. You see, the more you put your rudder under God's word and spirit, the more you can steer the boat of your life in a direction that glorifies your God, but then also consistently, right, in line with glorifying God in a way that builds up others. And so we practice gratitude. We make it a habit to praise our Heavenly Father and Lord, James says, so that what is coming out of our lives is consistent more and more, we might say, biblical positivity. We say God is sovereign and good, and and we look forward to watching Him work in each other's lives. And as we speak these truths, we'll begin to feel them more. This also means that we build up instead of tearing down. Paul says in Ephesians 4, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace. Now notice that. That's a blessing. It actually gives grace to those who hear. I want to tell you that I, over the years, and especially in the last few years, have been so encouraged by your words. They they lift my heart. They help me to to soldier on as a believer in Christ. They spur me on to love and good works. They inspire me to preach and lead. They fill my sails. 
And I know that you have done that with each other. I watch you doing that. You see, the words of fools cut, but the tongue of the wise, Proverbs says, brings healing. Literally, they heal us. On the other hand, we come back to James. The tongue is a fire and full of deadly poison. Now, to understand this, some have talked about what they call a tongue assignment. I'll give it to you for this next week. Keep track of your words for this next week. Maybe write them down or have your spouse or somebody in your family take note. And don't complain or grumble. Just express gratitude. Always affirm, don't, don't make cutting comments about the person in front of you or others. Don't gossip, gossip or boast by, by subtly putting others down. Now, that's a high calling. And again, verse 2 says, if anyone is never at fault in what he or she says, is a perfect person able to keep their whole body in check. Yet we know, don't we? that even the most mature Christians stumble in their speech. So often what comes off of our tongues is impatience, self-justification, then self-pity, then harshness, perhaps indifference. All these things roll out of our mouths. And not enough gentleness, peace, hope, goodness, biblical positivity. So James says, all kinds of animals are being tamed and have been tamed. But no person, no person can tame the tongue. Save one. Think about it. Jesus was without fault, we say it often, in his deeds, but also in his words. 1 Peter 2.22 he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Certainly no boasting. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was at his lowest point and humanity was rejecting him and he was on the cross, did he call down the curses, the literal annihilation that he could have brought to his enemies. No, he prayed, Father, bless them. Do good unto them. In other words, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. If anyone had the right to complain about the conditions of life and the way his friends and families, family and certainly his enemies treated him, it was Jesus. He had the right to complain. But he was constantly thanking his heavenly Father, praising his heavenly Father. Only fresh water poured out of Jesus' mouth, even when he spoke hard truths. Now let me take you back to Isaiah 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, the prophet said, right? He had just talked about his unclean lips, and he says, one of the angels flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, that had been taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your, your guilt is taken away and atoned for. 
Friends, as I have been working on this passage, I think so much guilt in my life has come through words, and and the same is true for you. And yet it is Jesus who touches our lips, who, who cauterizes our mouth, if you will, who atones for what we have said, and just as importantly, this is extremely convicting, he atones for the things that we have not said, all the missed opportunities. We have kept our mouths shut when we should have spoken forth love and blessing and goodness, and we stay quiet. What can make me whole again? What can cleanse my speech? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, once or twice, maybe three times, when I was a kid, uh, my parents, when I said something inappropriate, I don't remember what it was, they would take a little bar of soap and have me lick it. Now, I know some of you think, oh, man, that's old school, all right? Uh, But it left an impression, and I thought about it this morning. You know, our mouths, frankly, do literally need washing. And it's Jesus, friends, who does that. He he puts fresh water where there's been ingratitude and grumbling and cynicism and hopelessness and negativity. He puts fresh water there. And even more, he speaks forth on our lives forgiveness. He speaks forth life where there's been death. And because he has done that, we can bless instead of cursing. We can build up instead of burning down. We can heal instead of cutting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, that it is so alive and colorful, that it, that it cuts and yet that it heals. And as we sang earlier, we do pray that you would burn away what isn't right in our hearts, but also from our tongues. And that, that's rough imagery, but your work in our lives is, is not, um, not easy, but it's good. And so, Father, we pray that you would transform our hearts, that that what would spring forth from them would be fresh water, that we would be people who impart blessings and life and goodness by by what we say. We pray that we would be reasonable and gentle and peaceable. And Father, forgive us when we are overly sarcastic, cynical, hopeless, full of self-justification, self-pity, anger, impatience, indifference. God, we pray that you would help us to use the rudders that you have given to us, the bits in our mouths, that that those would even begin to influence our hearts, that we would practice things that we maybe do not feel in the moment, and that by your Spirit we would find ourselves transformed as we obey you. But Father, most of all, we thank you for the one who came and not only lived perfectly, but spoke as the perfect human being. And we thank you that he washes our mouths, that he washes our hearts, that he 
takes away the salt water and the bitterness and he gives us life. We thank you that Jesus atones for the sins of our mouths, our words. Father, for any and all who are here that might be struggling relationally or in the area of speech, we pray that you would heal our words and thereby heal our connections with other people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Mm -hmm.